0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, again we are thankful for the testimony of your word that comes to us through the ministry of prophets. I pray now, Lord, your Holy Spirit would guide our study, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Uh, let's start by looking at number one what counterfeit did Jesus warn his followers against in the last days? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Matthew 7 and verse 15. The Bible says, Beware of what? False. Prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, let me ask you a question. If there is a sentiment among some bodies of Christians that say that there were to be no more prophets after Jesus, I've heard it from quite a few. If there were going to be no more prophets, wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus to say, Beware of prophets? To say beware of false prophets means somehow I've got to determine whether they're true or false and there's some kind of it and if they're not going to be any it'd just be plain easier to say hey just beware of anybody who says they're a prophet. The point I'm making is the the very clear implication when Jesus says that is there are going to be true prophets and we've already seen that in scripture in the New Testament there have been true prophets. But Jesus said there are also going to be false prophets. So, question two, how can we know whether a prophet is a true prophet or false? 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Right before the book of Hebrews, you have Philemon, and then all the T's are there in alphabetical order, ironically. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. I'm reading in the New King James Version, I'm not the New King, yes, the New King James Version, sorry. Verse 19 says, do not quench the spirit. Now, does anybody have a different translation? Okay, King James says quench, right? Anybody have something different? What does the word quench mean? What things do you think of quenching? Thirst, Thirst and there's another. Two, those are the two top answers. Congratulations. Thirst and fire. What does it mean to quench a fire? Now, I think the NIV says, do not put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Okay, don't quench the Spirit. We see the flames of tongue in the, books of, in the book of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, rather, in the book of Acts. They, they don't put out the Spirit's fire. Well, how will we do that, Paul? Notice, do not despise prophecies. Uh, I believe the King James says prophesying's. And there's there's an important distinction there. We think prophecy. We always think of, oh, prophecies are those end time things. But a prophesying, and that's what it's saying in this context, is the, the, the sayings of a prophet. So Paul says, don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Well, how would I do that? By despising what a prophet says, just because a prophet says it. And then he goes on to tell us, test all things and hold fast to what is good so in other words the apostle Paul is simply saying here look you could be in danger of putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit if you reject everyone who says they're a prophet don't do that instead do what test the prophets so right away you know, Jesus says there's going to be false prophets by implication there's true so you're going to have to test them And Paul says, test the spirits. Don't despise prophesying, test them. Well, what are the biblical tests of a prophet? That's what this particular handout is for. So let me now back up just a little bit and say this. As as much as there were applications I made in teaching the last session to Ellen White, that last lesson was not about Ellen White. It was about prophets. It was to try to help us to see what the Bible says about prophets. Regardless what any church says, regardless what anybody else says, it's very clear that there are Bibles in the church. They've been in church from the beginning. They're spokespeople for God. They're people God spoke through throughout the ages into the end of time. It's a part of God's last day church. They identify and characteristic, all of those things. When the prophets spoke to God's people... God's people traditionally did not like the voices of the prophets and the speaking of the prophets. It's no different today. The devil's enraged with the prophets. It's no different today. So all of those things were just trying to help us to better understand the nature of the gift of prophecy and how the Bible treats that gift throughout the ages. Of course, the reason for that is we're living in the last days. The Bible says one of the things we're going to see in the last day church is the gift of prophecy. And if, and, and if I want to be able to test the prophets, how can, I, how can I test a prophet when I don't even know what a prophet is? So that last study helps me to know biblically what a prophet is. So now when somebody comes and claims to be a prophet, I've got a little basis in the scripture to go on to see whether that person fits or not. So for example, if somebody came along and they were writing things and they said, God told me to write these things out, but i didn't have any record in the bible of prophets who wrote things that were then i don't have a biblical basis but we do have a record of that we have prophets who wrote things and they were put in the bible we have prophets who wrote things that weren't in the bible we have women who are prophets i worked in a prison ministry and i had a guy say oh uh, no i don't i don't uh, i'm not going to come he was coming to church services that our church was doing in prison but you have to sign up for the group you're in and he's and, and i have to tell you something it was interesting so we worked in the Seventh-day Adventist group, and it's really crazy, at least here in Michigan, that in the prison system, you have to choose, you can't just go to any group you want for worship. You have to choose a group, and then you're locked into that group. And the group options you have are Catholic, Protestant, and Seventh-day Adventist. And you have Jehovah's Witness and other stuff like that. And I thought, well, this is ironic because, and I don't know how much you're aware of this these days, but... Adventists are one of the few truly Protestant churches left because Protestant protests against the teachings of Rome. Not the people of Rome. We're not haters and all that stuff, but we certainly don't believe in the theology. But there's, in ecumenism, it's just like, oh, we're all brother and sisters. And so it's kind of just interesting that you had to opt as Protestant or there's Adventist. And so I'll never forget, I went into the prison to do a Bible study one night and I had 12 men sitting around the table. And I said, so how many of you here are Seventh-day Adventists? And every hand went up but one. So I went over here and I said to the guy on my left, I said, when were you baptized in the Adventist church? And he said, what? I said, when did you become a member? He said, oh, I'm not a member. Well, I said, what about you? And I went around, the, there are only two guys who are members. I'm like, what about the rest of you? They're like, I thought you meant who signed up for the Adventist group. I said, well, you're not Adventist. Let me ask you, why'd you sign up for the group? They said, because we were tired and never hearing in the Bible. And this group teaches the Bible. I said, praise the Lord, amen to that. I'm going to tell you from my experience in the Seventh-day Adventist church and as a Seventh-day Adventist minister that the purpose of this church is to follow the scripture. Now, I know everybody says that, but then the Sabbath is kind of a big glaring issue, like it's pretty plain in the Bible, and then why aren't we following it? And so, with everything that the Seventh-day Adventists teach, including this, we want to be standing on a biblical foundation. And the last study was to look at that teaching of prophets. The Bible's clear about the role of prophets, and it's clear about the role of prophets in the last day church. The Bible also has tests that you would apply to a prophet. Now, I'm going to tell you, I mentioned it before, that if you you know, the best test for anything. And somebody had, had, had talked to me during the break, and I'm going to tell you that this I, th- this is a regular concern people have, fear people have. Like, I've had people come to my church, and they're studying, and they're like, this is great and stuff, but I've got real questions about this Ellen White. Well, look, I get it. <laughs> we live in a day and age of crazy. <laughs> and, you know, you've got, you've had your 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 crazy David Goresh's and stuff like that. You have... All kinds of wacky stuff. So I get why a person would be um, a little bit hesitant. I get that. But I'm going to tell you this. When you are trusting in Christ, you don't have to fear investigating something as long as you make the Bible your guide. So, you know, if the devil can get you not to investigate something, (laughs) how are you ever going to know What's true? I have people come by my house. I've had Jehovah's Witnesses come by. I've had Mormons come by. Look, I'll study with you, but let's do this. Let's stick with the Bible. Okay, we'll stick with the Bible. Yeah, well, it doesn't work. But that's, I'm okay with that. Like, like, I'm confident enough in the Bible. If it's here, I'll follow it. If I'm wrong according to this, I want to be the first to know about it. You understand what I'm saying? Don't fear investigating things. I've had people say, well, I'm just concerned because I heard she's a false prophet and I don't want to read. But yet at the same time, they're reading Harry Potter books. They're reading this and that. They're watching stuff on TV like you're not afraid of that. Let me tell you something. That's more to fear than, than a, a book of somebody. Bottom line is you read, I mean, even other Christian books. There are all kinds of Christian authors that have a little bit of truth and a little bit of error. And that's that's you know that's, that's, I guess that's part of how things go. But the Spirit of God preserves us when we're earnestly seeking the truth. Don't be afraid to investigate. God will save you from, especially when it comes to testing, you can't test a prophet unless you read a prophet. So I'm going to talk about these tests and I'm going to give you some answers as to how I think Ellen White has passed the test. But this is a short class. And there's just so much more. And I would never expect somebody to come in in an hour like this or in an afternoon or even to an evangelistic meeting and be like at the end and say, yeah, I heard about this and this Ellen White, I'm, I'm in. No, go ahead. You need to investigate. Ellen White herself said that when people come and they learn of our faith, we can expect that they should believe what the Bible says, that there are prophets in the church, even to the end of time, and that there's a last day prophet and all that stuff. But she says for them to have to accept me right away, You've got to give them time to at least read and figure out. And so we do the same. But this is to give, that, give you the, 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 the scriptural tests, at least some of them, the main ones that uh, will help you to know how you would go about testing the spirits like Paul says. So what are the biblical tests of a prophet? We're going to look at four major tests. The first one is Isaiah 8.20. We looked at last time. In fact, we didn't look it up, so we may as well look it up now. I was going to recite it again, and then I thought, ah, we ought to look it up. Isaiah 8 and verse 20. Just for fun, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. It's, the context is interesting. It says in verse 19, And when they say to you, Seek those who are what? Mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is what? No light in them. And so in this context, it has to do with spiritualism, mediums and whatever. And God say, why are you asking mediums? Go to my word. If it doesn't speak according to my word, it's not true. The law and the testimony, the law and the prophets. The test here is this. A true prophet of God will never contradict the revealed will of God in his word. Now, that may seem straightforward, but you know that there are religious bodies who believe that prophets, you keep having new and improved prophets. If a prophet is a later prophet, whatever they say erases earlier stuff. So, for example, in the Muslim faith, Muhammad was a prophet who came after Jesus. So whatever Muhammad said trumps Jesus. Even if they say, no, Jesus was a good man, or this and that, or even if a, if a in other words, uh, like the, the Mormon church, Joseph Smith, he was a newer prophet, and so newer prophets are more, are, are more true than older prophets. That fails this biblical test. The biblical test says, God, like, why would God send a prophet to contradict an earlier prophet? Did God mess something up? And I said, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I said that before, that's not true. Let's say this over here. It's not going to happen. There is a consistency. I will tell you that sometimes there are apparent contradictions. You perhaps have wrestled through these in the Bible. It's like, it seems like this is different from this. We actually have covered some in our earlier uh, seminar. Well, some in this class. Some of those fence posts Cameron was talking about. But when you study them out, you see the Bible is consistent. And God is consistent. And if there's a true prophet of God, the true prophet of God, remember the, the law and the testimony, the prophets pointed back, to and uplifted the scripture. They didn't contradict the scripture. If you look at the note underneath letter A, it says there are churches that claim to have the prophetic gift, but also claim that there are problems with the Bible and that their prophets corrected them. That is the position of the Mormon church. If you ask the Mormon church if, if they believe in the Bible, they'll say as far as it's correctly interpreted and translated. <laughs> what that means is No. We believe that Joseph Smith corrected the errors in the Bible. Sorry, we don't believe there are errors in the Bible. Ellen White didn't believe there are errors in the Bible. We don't believe Ellen White came to correct errors in the Bible. The Bible corrects all errors. Amen? So, um, it goes on to say, uh, this is a violation of test number one, the scriptures are the rule by which everything else must be tested. Ellen White always uplifted the Bible. She wrote, in one place, I recommend to you, dear reader, the word of God as the rule of your faith and practice. By that word, we are to be judged. God has, in that word, promised to give visions in the last days. She's referring to the gift of prophecy. Not for a new rule of faith, but for the comfort of his people, and to correct those who err from what? That's what I told you prophets do, to correct those. All the prophet does is points to the truths of Scripture and uplifts Scripture. If a prophet doesn't do that, they're not a prophet of God. Test number one, a prophet does not contradict. Now, I need to clarify this. Somebody asked, I get this question a lot as well. Um, can a true prophet say something that isn't in the Bible and still be true? So let me, uh, let me rephrase it now for you. Let's go back to Jeremiah's day. When Jeremiah first was called to be a prophet, was he in the Bible? Was there a Bible? Yeah, so there's a Bible, and then here comes Jeremiah. If you've read the writings of Jeremiah, did Jeremiah say anything in his books that wasn't in the books of Moses? He said all kinds of stuff that wasn't in the books of Moses. Moses didn't write anything about the Babylonian captivity the rising nation of uh, Empire of Babylon or any, right? And so there's all kinds of stuff. Let me follow that up by asking this question. What sense would it make if God sent Jeremiah and then he gave verbatim the book of Deuteronomy again? We already have the book of Deuteronomy. Like, how's that going to correct anybody, right? What about King David on the throne when Nathan the prophet came to him? What if Nathan the prophet did nothing but what's already in the Bible. He said, here, here, David, here's the Bible. Well, David already had the Bible. He needed another perspective to come and say and give that little story that he gave of the little ewe lamb and the family and everything else and said, David, thou art the man. You've done this thing. And that awakened David to the realization that he had gone contrary to what Scripture said. Are you following what I'm saying here? And Nathan was a true prophet. A prophet... Whether it be Jeremiah, remember Paul had the gift of prophecy. Did Paul write things that weren't written in the Old Testament? All kinds of stuff. But did they contradict what was written? No, they enhanced and uplifted. In fact, he quoted from and pointed to and uplifted it. So a true prophet may write something, some details that aren't already written. That only makes sense. Why else send somebody else with another message, without another message, another perspective, whatever but a true prophet will never contradict. Like, I know it said this over here, but now we're going to change the name. It's not going to happen with a true prophet. Are you following the difference there? Okay, so letter B. A true prophet will teach the divine human nature of Christ. 1 John 4, verse 2, if you look at this text. 1 John 4, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but Test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is interesting. It's, a, it's the flip of 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians said, don't despise prophesying, right? Don't reject them. And John says, don't accept them. <laughs> and both of them say, test them. So John says, don't, re, don't believe everything. And Paul says, don't reject everything. But you need to test the spirits. And then he goes on to say, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is already in the world. Now, Christ, the, the Christ is a title, not a name okay, Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, okay, the equi- it means the anointed one, that's in the Greek, in the Old Testament Hebrew, the equivalent word is Mashiach, Messiah, so when people asked Jesus, are you the Christ, that wasn't his last name, it was saying, are you the anointed one, are you the Messiah, are you the Mashiach, right, so when he says here that, that Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, the Christ part is pointing to the divine aspect. The divine Savior, Son of God that would come, the flesh is pointing to the human aspect. And Jesus, the divine Son of God, came into humanity. He took humanity, but he was still God. But not all people believe that. So, for example, it's interesting that if you... Well, notice the, notice the note here under, uh, let, under letter B. A true prophet will emphasize both the divine and human elements of Christ's nature. The Church of Rome has long taught the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Now, without reading further, it tells it there. How many of you have heard of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception? Do you know what it is? I used to think I knew what it was. I thought Immaculate Conception meant that Jesus was born sinless. That's not the Immaculate Conception. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is that Mary had to be born sinless in order for Jesus to be born sinless. But then you have to say, well wait, if that's the case, then what about Mary's mom? <laughs> you know, just, But that the concept of that is is this that Jesus is so removed because he couldn't be defiled from sinfulness, so he had to be, his mother had to be sinless, etc. So it puts him so removed from humanity. Now it emphasizes his divinity, which is great. But it downplays his humanity to the point that we're so sinful, Jesus won't even talk with us. We have to go through priests and saints to get to Jesus and his mother. That's why you have all the intermediaries in the Catholic Church, because God's so holy and we're just... Now, you go to the flip side of that, you go to the uh, Jehovah's Witness Church. They believe they're all about the humanity of Jesus. They even will say he is a God, but he's not God. And so they emphasize the humanity, but not the divinity. A true prophet of God, like Scripture, will admit that Jesus is completely God, and yet he became man in this world to save sinners. Okay? Now I want you to notice that. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, even in our church, we have these non-Trinitarians, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're denying the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Yes. also saying that Christ had a beginning sometime in the past, long before the earth was created, which is denying basically the divinity. of God. Yeah, the, the, he existed a long time, and, but not from eternity. <laughs> uh, the Bible says, in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. I mean, there's no ambiguity there. Jesus but, and yet we know, yet we know that there are people who, there are religious bodies who deny that, there are so-called prophets who deny that, they fail test number two, or letter B. Uh, Halfway through, or the second paragraph there under letter B says Ellen White affirmed this when she wrote, um, though he had no taint of sin upon his character, Yet he Jesus, condescended to connect our fallen human nature with his divinity by thus taking humanity, he honored humanity, in other words, when Jesus took in his divinity took humanity, he elevated humanity, he connected it, he gave through his humanity or, uh, through his divinity, rather he gave humanity a power that we wouldn't have had otherwise that's the power of the new birth and the opportunity of a new life all through that him taking our nature she says having taken our fallen nature he showed what it might become by accepting the ample provision he has made for it and by becoming a partaker of the divine nature and that partaker of divine nature is the language taken right there from second peter chapter 1 so a true prophet will teach the divine human nature of christ let us see Letter C is a true prophet will be known by the fruit of character and ministry. If you go to Matthew 7 again, we started there with that false prophet test, uh, or text, rather, beware false prophets. I want you to notice another piece of it. Matthew 7, 18 to 20. Jesus says a good tree cannot bear what? Bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear Good fruit, every tree that is cut down does not bear good fruit. I'm sorry, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Fruits, this is a test of the spirit. What spirit is a person of? By their fruit. There are two aspects to this. There's the fruit of the life. Like if a person's... if there's a true prophet of God, you should be able to expect that their life would be a Christian life. (laughs) You know, if somebody's out carousing and sleeping around and this, that, and the other, you'd be like, "Um, I have questions as to whether that person's a prophet of God, right? I mean, so you're going to expect that the life would be in harmony with, they would be walking the walk, right, that they're talking. Also, there's the fruit of the ministry. And I have to tell you that this has been helpful to me many, many times. I've had people come. Sometimes people come to you with ideas, and you just don't know. It sounds like maybe, isn't They say, "Hey, I've got this new angle. And I think we ought to be doing this." All right. Um, and sometimes you got to let things play out. You know what I'm talking about? And somebody's got a, a, a teaching or an angle of something. And what's the fruit of the teaching? How do people react who believe this kind of teaching? And so sometimes you're just not sure about a certain teaching, but then you start to notice that the people who believe in that teaching start doing crazy stuff. Okay, that's fruit of the ministry. And so you'll see here on under number or letter C a true prophet will be known by the fruit of character and ministry. Uh, if you look at the second paragraph there, the last starting on this page, it says regarding Ellen White's life and character. The following appeared in the secular weekly paper, the St. Helena Star of July 23, 1915, just one week after her death. So this is a secular paper commenting on this woman's life. This is not a church paper, so these are the guys who don't believe, don't even believe in the God that this person believes in, or that she's a prophet, or everything else. But this is what they wrote. And I, there are many such examples, but this, this is just one that I pulled out. The life of Mrs. White is an example worthy of emulation by all. She was a humble, devout disciple of Christ and ever went about doing good, honored and respected by all who appreciate noble womanhood consecrated to unselfish labor for the uplifting and betterment of mankind. That's a pretty good testimony from an outsider. And there were many such testimonies, as I said, that would bear witness to the fact that she truly lived a Christian life. Even one of her, her, her greatest critics, uh, Walter Martin, I don't know if you know the name, he wrote the book Kingdom of the Cults, and he was actually reviewing the Seventh-day Adventist Church and wondering where to put them. Um, obviously, he didn't agree with what they taught, uh, and he didn't categorize the church as a cult, but he didn't agree, obviously, with Ellen White or some other things. But even in his explanation of Ellen White, He says, in all the things he disagreed, he says she was a truly regenerate woman, that is born again woman, who lived out her Christian life to the best of her ability. Like when one of your critics says that about you, that's a testimony to me that by their fruits, you shall know them. When when your critics are even uh, constrained to say, yeah, but they were a good Christian person, that says something. Now let's talk about her ministry, the effect of her ministry. I've had a lot of people express to me concern that if a person reads Ellen White, they're going to be reading Ellen White instead of the Bible. It's like it's Ellen White or the Bible. And I'm worried about those people who read Ellen White because they're going to read all this Ellen White and they won't know the Bible. But that's not the case. It's very interesting. Uh, Notice the next paragraph here. It says, regarding her teaching, untold numbers of people have been converted to Christ by reading her books. Incidentally, I'm one of those. I was a heathen. I was not a Christian. It was reading the writings of Ellen White. In the book Great Controversy, I was reading a chapter there. And in, and in reading that chapter, I can still mark... I'm not going to tell you the story today, maybe before the week's out. But that, that led to my conversion, led me to first see my need of Christ. Now listen, the devil's not in the business of making people see their need of Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, if you... If you were the CEO of a company, and you hired a guy, a marketing guy, to get people to your company, and found out your marketing guy was actually sending people to your competition across the street, what would you do? You'd fire him, right? If Ellen White's a false prophet, what's she doing winning all these people to Jesus? The devil would have fired her a long time ago. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) Like story after story I've encountered people myself and others who wouldn't even name the name of Christ if they hadn't been the devil isn't in the business of winning people to Christ Um, regarding her teaching untold numbers of people have been converted to Christ by reading her books in a study conducted by Andrews University which is the Seventh-day Adventist University here in Michigan comparing readers of Ellen White with non-readers there are Adventists who read Ellen White's writings and there are Adventists who don't so anytime you do a study and you want To compare apples with apples, you know these people are the same lifestyle except for some are reading Elmite's writings and some don't, or some read a lot and some don't read much at all. So in contrasting the two, it says uh, they did this study and they found the following. It was discovered that readers, people who read her writings on a regular basis, have a closer relationship with Christ, more certainty of their standing with God, and are more likely to have identified their spiritual gifts. They are more in favor of Spending for public evangelism and contribute more heavily to local missionary projects. They feel more prepared for witnessing and actually engage in more witnessing and outreach programs. They're more likely to study the Bible daily, to pray for specific people to meet in fellowship groups, and to have daily family worship. They see their church more positively. They're responsible for winning more converts. I mean, There's a lot of positive things in there that are fruits of ministry. Like what do people do when they read? Oh, they become more faithful Christians, more faithful to giving in mission, more active in mission, closer to Jesus, and they study the Bible more, not less. True prophet will be known by the fruit of character and ministry. Letter D, true prophet's predictions will always come to pass. Jeremiah 28, verse 9. I think we're going to do it here. I told you before 5 o'clock, I went and got... You know, pride goes before destruction, the Bible says. <laughs> well, we're going we're to work on this. Uh, Jeremiah 28, verse 9. Proverbs 28 verse 9, as for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord truly has sent. If you look at the note underneath that, it says in prophecies that are not conditional, which I'll talk about in a minute, that is dependent on a personal response to determine their fulfillment, the prophet is 100% accurate. Um, so let me come back to that, and let's look at number four, because this deals with conditional. Some prophecies are what we call conditional. That means it's an if-then. For example, question four says, What did God promise to do if a nation turned from its course of action? For sake of time, I'm not going to go here. But I will say, as you look that up, you'll see that God said that when a nation, when God has said he's going to bring disaster on a nation, but they repent... He says, I will relent of the disaster I was going to do. And if I promise blessings to a nation, but they turn against me, then I'll bring disaster. In other words, God says, if there's a condition, and I say, I'm going to bless you if you're faithful, and then you're not faithful, I'm not going to bless you. So there are certain prophecies that God made that didn't come true, but the prophet was not a false prophet. And the most well-known example is the example of Jonah. When God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, he didn't even state a conditional. You know, A conditional prophecy would say if. If you do this then, right? If then is the conditional statement. There was no if then. God said, Jeremiah, you go tell the Ninevites 40 days. Jonah, sorry. Thank you. Jonah, you go tell the Ninevites 40 days, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Period. So he went, and, and incidentally, do you remember what Jonah did? I mean, the whole story of Jonah. Jonah in the whale. Why? Because he ran away. You know why he ran away? Because he was afraid that he would go and prophesy, and then God would have mercy, and God wouldn't destroy, and they'd call him a false prophet. I mean, that was his whole fear. That's the whole reason he was like, I'm not going to go there. Well, it wasn't his whole fear, because the Assyrians were very, Ninevites rather, were very mean people. Uh, you know, skin their captives alive, stuff like that. So, like, I'm going to go prophesy to them and tell them, God, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. So anyway, long story short, though, he ends up going to Nineveh. He prophesies to Nineveh. He says 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. Then he goes up on the mountainside to watch the destruction. <laughs> and God doesn't destroy them, and Jonah gets mad. I mean, that's the whole story of Jonah. Like, Jonah's mad. Oh, great, now he didn't destroy him, and they're going to say I'm a false prophet, because was he a false prophet? What happened? Did God's prophecy fail? No, it was a conditional prophecy. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 18, in those verses there, 7 through 10, God says there are times when he'll issue a prophecy, but there may be a condition. And so in those cases, you're not a false prophet if the prophecy doesn't come to pass because the people changed and repented. So back to letter D, that's what it's saying underneath. It says in prophecies that are not conditional, you know, some prophecies aren't, that are not conditional, that is dependent on a personal response to determine their fulfillment, like with the Ninevites, the prophet is 100% accurate. The so-called prophets of our day miss the mark completely on this test. A few of their predictions may come to pass, but most are never fulfilled. Ellen White has written on such subjects as health, education, parenting, leadership, and prophecy. Many of her teachings, which were ridiculed by experts of her day, are being confirmed by cutting-edge science today. For example, in 1864, she wrote, tobacco is a poison of the most deceitful and malignant, that means cancerous, kind. While it wasn't until 1957 that the American Heart Association issued the statement that cigarette smoking caused cancer. She's predicted, among other things, the San Francisco earthquake, the Civil War, and the two world wars. She foretold the rise of modern spiritualism in the ecumenical movement. She gave many divine warnings to church leaders and the church at large, and in so doing has saved the cause many trials. Her writings continue to validate her gift. I mean, there's just no shortage, and there's no time right now in this seminar. But if you go to michigansspm.org, our website, and you click on the YouTube channel, I did a week-long series on the gift of prophecy, the Internet stuff about it, and just walked through far more than I'm doing right now. It's on video. It was done here in the main auditorium, and it's called um, Whiteout. And it's the series. It's a playlist on the video, and you can go and check that out, and you can get more information if you're interested in finding out more. So number four asked, what did God promise to do if a nation turned from, it, turned from its course of action? He would relent what he had prophesied, which I just kind of talked about in that conditional element. Number five, what mistake of our forefathers does God warn us not to repeat? The book of Zechariah chapter 1, way back at the back of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not heed, hear nor heed me, says the Lord. What mistake are we urged not to repeat, not to... Ignore the words of the prophets. We are urged not to disregard the warnings of prophets, but hear and obey them, returning to the Lord with all our hearts. That's why God sends prophets, because he has compassion on his people. And in these last days of all days, God's people need the guidance of his prophets. The devil's got all kinds of deception. The last days are a day that's rife with deception. And so God has sent the prophetic gift to clarify the word, to make his people strong on the foundation of the word, so to be safe from the delusions that are coming and rejoice in the day of Jesus' coming. Amen? Yes. Question? Oh, the lawyer. Man, I'm looking at my time and I'm thinking, yeah, but you know what? I've got to tell the lawyer. So Vince okay, well, we're going to do it, and I'm just going to, whatever, I'll admit failure, I'll admit defeat. So, so Ellen White, as I mentioned, was accused of, of, of being a plagiarist and I have a whole presentation on that alone in that video series I just re- recommended from our website. But long and short of it is, this man, Vince Ramick, was a Roman Catholic, hadn't re- read a-, a wide sampling as a part of this case of Ellen White's writings, but the only thing he read all the way through was the book Great Controversy. He so says he was biased against Ellen White in the beginning, and in fact, the Adventist Review did an interview with him, and that interview is printed out, and so that's where we get some of this information. And so he said, listen, I started out the case, I actually thought the critics were right, and she must have plagiarized. And they said, well, what was it that changed your mind? He says, here's what changed my mind. He said, it was reading her writings that changed my mind. And he said, I wish the critics would just read the writings. He said, the messages in her books, they changed me. And he said, they'll change anybody, unless he's just so hard-headed he won't be changed. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but... It was just a powerful testimony, and he said, "I think I'm a better man today because of those writings." And I wish that the critics could understand that. And he said, as far as the case on plagiarism, he said, "I much be much rather be an attorney for the, uh, defense, the for the prosecution than the defense, or sorry, for the defense and the prosecution." He says, "There's just no case here. There's just no case from a legal standpoint. Experts in this field." looking over all the records, said, look, they just don't have a case. <laughs> these guys, these critics, whatever they say about plagiarism, she's not a plagiarist. But, like I said, so from a legal standpoint, there was no case. But more than that, it had to do with the whole idea that we've got to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes, sometimes yes, there's, we're, there's concerns and we, want to, we don't want to be misled, and I understand that. But neither do we like to be told what to do. And one of the challenges with Ellen White's writings is there are certain things in the Bible that may be a little more ambiguous or we can make them more ambiguous that when Ellen White's done with them, they're not that ambiguous anymore. It's like, no, this is a... For example, there are people to this day who say, well, the Sabbath, I don't know know that I need to keep it today. You're not going to get through Ellen White's writings and say that. She's very clear that, no, this applies today and God's saying this needs to be done today. People don't like to be narrowed down like that. And we've got to recognize that about our own hearts. Throughout history, this has been the way with the prophets. God does not send his prophet. Look, the prophets of God have always disturbed the lives of his people. (laughs) But in a good way. And if we can understand that and understand that God sends his prophets in compassion. Yes, they may cut across the grain of where we want to go. But God cuts to heal, not to kill. And God's healing is marvelous. And we want to be ready when Jesus comes, don't we? And this is why God has put this gift in the church in the last days, along with all the other gifts, so that we can finish the gospel work, that the world can know about Christ, and we can be ready when he comes again. Amen? Let's pray. 501. Still ahead. No, anyway. I thank you for your patience today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the testimony of your word. I thank you for each one who has come here to this class and to camp meeting. And Lord, I do pray that far beyond this class session or any of these seminars, your spirit would continue to prompt us and guide us in our study and bless us in our study of your word that we may be confident in the truths of your word and we may stand faithful in these last days we ask and pray all of this in jesus name and for his sake amen to listen to more of these presentations you may visit the audio archives at misda.org audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.